Sales Tuners, Episode 24, Matt Amundsen, Vice President of Sales Development and Field Marketing at Everstring. So what stops people, especially SDRs, from being successful is fear. Fear of being told no, fear of handing off a lead that's not ready to go, fear of talking to a stranger, you know, somebody that they've, they've never interacted with, fear of sending the wrong tweet, fear of sharing the wrong piece of content. You just got to get rid of the fear. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Sooner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host. And our weekly inspiration comes from Steve Jobs, who said everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. Sales Sooners, I'm extremely grateful for all the emails and questions you've sent in recently. I've had a lot of requests for a potential meetup, and well, I think I found the perfect opportunity. I will be in Atlanta, Georgia, March 1st through the 3rd for Sales Lofts Rainmaker 17. If you're going, or if you happen to be in Atlanta during that time, shoot me a note and let's grab a beer. I'm really looking forward to the conference, and in addition to today's guest being a speaker, several other Sales Sooners guests are on the agenda as well, including Tony Bennett from Episode 10, Derek Grant way back on Episode 2, and our most listened to episode to date, John Barrows, on Episode 6. If you haven't heard of Rainmaker 17, you should definitely check it out. I'll link to it in the show notes, but it will be the best sales engagement conference you'll see this year. Back to today, I am thrilled to be joined by Matt Amundsen, Vice President of Sales Development and Field Marketing at Everstring, an artificial intelligence platform to accelerate pipeline growth and customer acquisition. Prior to joining Everstring, Matt was responsible for building the SDR team at Marketo from zero to 15 people with the focus of creating processes that generate consistent, closable pipeline. And just so you know, he will indeed take meetings for cupcakes. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Okta for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 24. But now, let's get to the conversation where Matt talks about working with his mentor, Steve Dodsworth. You know, I, in addition to, to um, starting the, the SMB SDR team at uh, Marketo, and, and I do want to point out that uh, just that branch of it, um, I was, uh, when I was at Marketo, I was actually worked hand in hand uh, with a gentleman by the name of Steve Dodsworth, who's my mentor, taught me everything there is to, to know about sales development. And, and he, he really was the, the, the pioneer of the SDR team there. So I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, so 
I owe a lot to Steve, and as I always call him out anytime someone asks me about starting sales development at Marketo. Um, so what do I like to do outside of work? Well, I'm a, I'm a husband and a father, and my wife and I recently had our second child, so we've got a three-month-old baby girl at the house, and I, I spend most of my time with her um, when, when I'm not at work, which is great. Um, there's, there's nothing like having a baby in the house. I'm also a huge sports fan. Um, uh, I'm, I'm an LA guy, so mostly LA sports teams, which is, uh, can be really unpopular here in the Bay area, being a Dodgers and a Lakers fan. Uh, and then when it comes to NFL Steelers fan, long story, uh, probably not, not a good use of time here on, on the podcast, but, uh, th- those are my teams and that's why I love doing when I'm not at work. As you know, in this show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. And so, mm-hmm. you know, first, I want to start with talking about your sales process today. Give me a better idea of what EverString is, and and, and how do people buy from you today? EverString is is a company that is really uh, about transforming the way organizations uh, build and grow revenue. Uh, it's it's a product that's uh, got use cases across both sales and marketing. Um, on a, on a on a micro level, when you think about how a sales rep would use it, um, you know, you think about your your territory or your vertical or however you're selling. Everstream is going to identify the companies in that dirt that are most likely to be a good fit for your product. Um, I think over the course of the years, people have taken more of a lead based approach to that, uh, where we have taken account based approach to that, and I think that that's that's part and parcel to the way salespeople like selling, um, and it's 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 really good for organizations that are also running an ABM practice. Um, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit offline, but I, salespeople don't wake up in the morning and say, "Hey, you know, I want to sell to Heidi Bullock, or I want to sell to uh, Heather Watkins, or I want to sell to Maria Pergolino." They say, I want to sell to Marketo, I want to sell to Optimizely, and I want to sell to Aptis. Uh, salespeople just don't really think in terms of people. They think in terms of the accounts that they want to sell to. The people come secondary. And EverString really helps operationalize that process by letting you know who's, uh, which accounts are the best fit. And then within that, which people at those companies are um, your, your you know, sort of best point of entry. So I think it's a super powerful tool for salespeople. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I think we're going to be able to unpack a lot of that because clearly you use your own product in your processes. So I want to talk through that. But before we get there, let take, let's take me way back. How did you even get into sales, Matt? I began my career um, at, uh, at, at, at Red Bull, um, the energy drink company. Uh, I was working out of their North American headquarters in Santa Monica, um, doing a lot of, uh, like market analysis stuff. So Red Bull had just gotten into, um, Walmart as their large account. And I was just like looking at like retail turns and, and using Walmart's database system. But, um, at the time our global head of sales, or I, sh- I should say our national head of sales, cause it was Red Bull North America. He and I just kind of became fast friends and uh, he started taking me out on sales calls and having me like drive him to the airport or carry his luggage for him. And I got to watch his sales process and I was just like, this is unbelievable. At some point, I just got to move into into sales. Um, and then I left and I, uh, I went to uh, Foster Grant USA, which is you know, kind of a legacy sunglass company. And I was working uh, in product marketing there, uh, which is very similar to software companies, solutions consultants. So I was going out on sales calls and, you know, talking about expected retail turns and, um, you know, what, uh, you know, what new uh, signage or packaging might do for the business, et cetera. 
And I realized what the salespeople were making as opposed to what I was making. I was like, okay, this is it. I got to, I got to move out of, out of marketing and into sales. And, um, and then, uh, moved to the Bay area, wanted to get a job in tech sales without tech sales experience. No one would really hire me, but I was lucky enough that, uh, that Marketo saw something in me. Um, if, I don't know what it was at the time because I think about myself back in those days and I wasn't a whole lot. Uh, and, and they brought me in and I worked as an SDR there in the business for about 90 days before they promoted me uh, to split the, the marketing or the SDR department into enterprise and SMB. And I started running the SMB part and, um, and the rest is kind of history. Um, so I've been running sales development or leading like more straight inside sales teams uh, over the course of the last six years. And it's been an awesome ride. I, I want to just kind of jump right into this account-based marketing, account-based sales concept, right? So um, you're, you've become an expert at it, but here's the pushback, and I apologize, I'm going to do it right out of the gate, but it isn't, a, the, isn't it just a buzzword, Matt? Isn't it really just good marketing and targeted sales? Yeah. Um, so I have, I have an opinion not only on ABM and, or a, ABE, as, um, as the folks at Topo like to say, account-based everything. Um, so there's there's people who will be like, oh, account-based marketing isn't new. It's something that we've always done. And uh, I think that is true uh, for sure. I, I don't think it makes you a thought leader to say that account-based marketing is nothing new. And I think a lot of people sort of put that out there to be like, well, it's not new. I'm very progressive and you should pay attention to my opinions. But um, it, it's, it's, it's not in spirit because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, salespeople always think about accounts. They rarely think about people, right? If they're, they're thinking about how am I going to make my 2017, they think about the top 50 accounts that they want to sell to and know that they need to probably close 20 of those, depending upon what their quota and ARR is, right? They, they rarely think about as they're planning or building a plan, like the specific people, um, and, and marketing um, is now starting to get in line with that. Now, why I think ABM as a buzzword is more than just vapor is because uh, account-based marketing can be operationalized now. And that's really the delta is, right? There's the technology in place to do it. Uh, within the bounds of a tech stack. So companies like Engageo have really pioneered uh, account-based everything, account-based engagement, account-based marketing, however you want to say it, um, in a really great way that makes it really easy to go out and execute on. Because I think the spirit of it, people understand, yeah, let's, let's only target the accounts that our sales reps actually want to sell to or that are actually a good fit for our product. That's great. Absolutely. Um, because it's a transition away from you know what a lot of people have done with marketing automation, which is to misuse it and just dump a lot of junk into the top of it and see what comes out of the bottom. And I think ABM is 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 a pushback against how people are misusing marketing automation because they're saying, hey, the MQL is proof that this is an engaged lead, go sell to it. And at the end of the day, if that person works at a company that's not a good fit for your product, it really doesn't matter what they looked at on your website, what they downloaded in the form of, of white papers or any other interactive marketing materials. All of that is irrelevant if they work for a company that's not a good fit for your product. So, you know, whether whether you're where you're a company that has, you know, some kind of technology limitation, like I can only sell to companies that are running salesforce.com, if somebody's in, engaging with you and you know your marketing department's handing it over and they work at a company that's running Dynamics or Pipedrive or some other CRM, then you know it's it's wasted dollars, it's wasted effort. And more than anything, it 
it drives a giant wedge between the relationship of sales and marketing. So ABM, I think, as a, as a practice, uh, and why salespeople should get excited about it is really a return to um, you know a time when marketing and sales worked much more collaboratively. Sales said, "Hey, these are the accounts I want to go sell to." What can we do in order to engage them? Um, and that is why it's exciting. That's why I hope that people aren't pushing back against it. I realize that you know the the um, the spirit of it is not new, and it's kind of the way salespeople have always sold. That's why I appreciate it. But it is the fact that companies are you know like Engageo and and now like Marketo uh, are out there with uh, with account based marketing platforms that help you. Uh, run those pro- programs at scale and 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 get them out and executed very quickly and efficiently. So you said a whole lot of awesome stuff right there. So let's let's get specific and break that down. Uh, lo- looking at you, how are you guys using this concept to open up new relationships with prospects? I think if you talk to the the folks at Marketo who are leading the charge at, uh, uh, on ABM, if you talk to uh, John Miller over at, uh, at Engageo, or really anybody else who's who's kind of pioneering account-based marketing, the good folks at Terminus, um, it is, it all starts with account selection, right? And with EverString, we're able to uh, operationalize the selection of accounts and think about them uh, not just on a macro level, but a, uh, on a micro level within people's specific territories. Because, you know, the dirty little secret that most sales managers don't want to tell people is if you're a technology company selling to other technology companies, yeah, the Bay Area and Boston and New York are your best bets. And everything past that is a little bit sketchy. So if you uh, if you ran a target account, uh, if, if you went out and built target accounts, most of them would probably reside somewhere within 415-650-408 here in the Bay Area and, and Boston and New York uh, on the other side of the country. So um, the, the power of EverStream, in, in my opinion, is not just to be able to identify all of that, but actually to say, you know, Mr. Rep here in, uh, in, in the Southeast, here are all your target accounts in, in Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas. So, um, so that is where we start. We want to be able to identify for each one of our sales reps what their target accounts are. And then we, um, we layer on top of that, you know, programs that we're running out of Marketo that are a little bit more, um, to uh, to a mass audience, and then we layer on top of that programs that we're running with Engageo uh, that are really really highly specific. So that's things where you know we'll send a direct mail and then have an SDR follow up on top of that. In addition to that, we uh, for, for our SDRs we use a product called SalesLoft that really helps them be highly personalized. Now there's a lot of sales acceleration tools out there. And the the warning that I give to anybody who's thinking about adopting a technology like that is sales acceleration tools really are a lightweight marketing automation system. And what that means is, you know, if if you use them inappropriately or incorrectly, you can let an SDR essentially just jam a thousand leads into this thing on a daily basis and have it blast out emails while they kind of sit back and wait for somebody to engage with them, which is the exact same way that a lot of people misuse marketing automation. With SalesLoft, we're able to really slow down the process. We're able to um, operationalize personalization of messaging. And it was about this time last year where I basically threw down a gauntlet to the SDR team here. And I said, hey, every single message that's coming out to the public from you, (coughs) excuse me, has to be personalized. 
I force them to personalize everything. You know, when you build cadences or sequences or whatever you're using in your systems for this, leave the subject line of every email blank, right? Let an SDR personalize the subject line of every email they, they send. Don't let force, but let them in the form of empowering them to know that it's okay to do that. So, you know, we, we, um, we start there and I think personalization on a subject line is the most important part of sending an email. Okay. Uh, I am currently in a marketing role here. Um, I see myself more as a salesperson, but I'm currently in a marketing role. And, you know, yesterday, the night before last, I zeroed out my inbox. And yesterday, by the time I got to the office, I had 400 unread emails. And I parsed my emails by, um, you know, emails from, from, from people here within the company and then just emails from external. And only two of them were internal, 398 of them were unsolicited emails. So when you're going through that, if you don't see something personalized, it's going to grab you right from the subject line. Um, you're probably going to miss what may be a great message or may be a great product offering. So personalizing the message that comes from the SDR team is really important. Now, you can't just personalize the subject line and then jump into a templatized pitch. You've got you to make good on the promise of a personalized subject line and, and sort of wrangle it back and take that personalization and turn it into relevancy, which is a skill uh, that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of training to get SDRs to be able to do. But once you can do that, you start getting messages back from people that, that are awesome. Even if you get a message back from a person that says, you know, hey, Jim, I read your email. Um, I'm not really interested in what you are selling right now, but I just really appreciate your email. In my opinion, that's a win. When you are running account-based marketing or account-based sales development or account-based everything, however you want to say it, you uh, scorched earth is your biggest enemy, right? And, you know, an SDR can destroy the relationship that you have with an account by sending a bad email. And that's a th that's what really makes me nervous about sales development is the fact that, you know, you could send a bad email or, you know, you could misuse a token from one of these systems and somebody's like, I'm never going to do business with you based on the way that you sent me that email. So personalization is key and it helps you create a really great experience for your prospects, which in turn creates a great or a nice soft landing for your account executives when they enter and begin into a sales cycle. Goodness. Okay. So where do I uh, even begin here? All right. So you, you talked <laughs> about these. <laughs> no, no. You, you talked about these sales acceleration tools, um, you know, as basically marketing automation light. I totally agree with you. Um, oddly enough, I wanted to build one of them before there were any several years ago because I thought they should belong in sales as well. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. So that being said, you said uh, you don't want to drop a thousand people or, or you don't want to let an SDR drop a thousand people into one of these and just basically do a batch and blast for, you know, 10 cadence emails or whatever that is. Okay. But with that personalization and well, actually, before I go there, that's kind of what the tools meant to do. So help me better understand how, you know, beyond the subject line, how are you at scale personalizing a large quantity of outreach because at, at, at the end of the day there is still a volume game that has to be played right yeah well first let me let me start off by saying we're not personalizing at scale or for a large volume okay. we're just not i'm asking SDR here to make 25 phone calls and send 25 emails on a daily basis 
That's all I'm asking for. And my, my justification for doing that is when I started here, we started off by doing, you know, 100 phone calls a day. And we probably sent, you know, between 50 and 75 emails a day on top of that. And our results stunk. They were terrible. Right. And when we switched to being highly personalized and reduce the volume, we I mean, we shot through the roof in a way where I could give you percentage statistics on it and you would just say that's not real. Therefore, I don't believe it. Um, so I won't even go there, but it was a night and day change. I mean, we're talking about, we, we were a company that went from generating maybe seven or eight opportunities a month to a hundred, uh, with the same number of people. So how many, how many people just so for an idea? Yeah. Uh, we've, we've, uh, currently have 12 SDRs here. Um, we've had, so, so about eight, eight or nine per person per month. Yeah, that's right. And we have about uh, we've had on we've had as many as 14 uh, and we've, we've got some open recs now. So we've got 12 and we'll we'll get to a slightly higher number than that. Part of the reason why uh, we've sort of ebbed and flowed is we've promoted a ton of SDRs here in this business. So in the two years that I've been at this company, we've promoted 10 SDRs into positions in sales and marketing outside of the SDR group. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, so you brought the volume down, uh, so you have more personalization, but so why not just use regular outlook or, or Gmail then? Why are you needing to use a tool then if the, if the numbers are so low? Yeah, good question. One, um, I like to, uh, I like the, the experience of, of sales loft. I like taking an SDR outside of Salesforce because Salesforce is slow and kind of clunky. So if you've got, uh, I mean, it's great in a thousand ways, but it's not great as like a prospecting engine. Um, and so I'm able to, in SalesLoft, um, templatize the part of, of every email that, in my opinion, is the hardest part for every SDR which is explaining what your product does. And that was one of the things that I realized over the course of running sales development at both Marketo and at Tibco was that SDRs actually can get creative uh, pretty quickly. They, if you teach them to personalize, they, they, they can add that. They all, almost always struggle with, you know, what is your product? What's our elevator pitch? What's like the two sentence? What's the five sentence? Uh, that type of stuff. How do I how do I tweak that messaging if I'm talking to a C-level person versus if I'm talking to a director or a practitioner level person? Um, so we took all the mystery out of that in terms of, you know, templatizing how we message the product to various personas. Uh, and then we just like leave these nice blank spaces for where they fill that in. And I think the cool thing about SalesLoft, when we bought it, now a lot of the other uh, competitors do this as well, was they were the first people that had both the capability to email and call directly out of their platform. And so it just created this really nice agile hub for SDRs to take their experience outside of Salesforce and then all the data that they were collecting and all the data that they were seeing in it was being pushed and pulled out of CRM. So it just made everything a lot faster and a lot easier. Um, and so they just feel more comfortable. And as a result, I can see them just, you know, more than anything, what you want SDRs is just, just do the work. You yeah. Know so so I mean? it's like, more about workflow and process is what I'm kind of hearing you, you say it's yeah, giving totally. them the overview. Got it. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So, I mean, you know, you, you've written a ton uh, on this subject. I, I've read several of your, of your articles. I want to kind of dive into that. So uh, how, um, I guess where do I want to go with that? 
talk to me about how you are bringing the relevancy or, or using data to to interject here and and truly open up these accounts. Yeah, so this is great. Um, you know, I I I don't. Anytime I'm talking, I try not to make these things um, a commercial for EverString. But when you when questions like this gets asked get asked, it's really difficult uh, not to talk about it because it's such a part of our process. So I think about and, and I'll break these down into some some pretty simple use cases, right? So um, you know, uh, a predictive platform should be able to tell you <clears throat> companies that are that are similar and why they're similar. And if I said, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a a sort of a, a control group of, let's say, Marketo, Eloqua, and Pardot. Uh, uh, any system should be able to tell you, okay, great, well, here's some other companies that are similar, and those companies are, you know, HubSpot, Acton, and SalesFusion. You know, all are marketing automation companies. So you're kind of like, okay, great, well, I don't need a machine that can help me do that. What our machine helps us do is in cases where on the surface, two businesses look very differently, and I'll use the uh, I'll use SalesLoft as an example of one company. And what Sales SalesLoft is a customer, we're a customer of theirs. They did a a case study, and so we took SalesLoft and their case study, we put it into EverString, and we said, "Find us every business that's just like that within my territory." Uh, and an SDR took that information, and um, they've got Utah as a part of their territory, and a company that they surfaced is LucidChart. Now, I think most of the listeners know, but I'll explain. Uh, SalesLoft is a sales acceleration tool. LucidChart is a charting software. Both awesome companies full of great people. Love both. They're great. But on the surface, they look absolutely different, right? There's, In fact, you'd think nothing is in common with those two. But what EverString is able to surface is the connection that exists between the two of them. They're almost the same in every way except for the product they sell. Their go-to-market strategy is the same. They offer a trial that goes into a, a paid subscription of their product. Their marketing sophistication and technology stack is almost exactly the same. Their, uh, their process for passing leads from marketing to sales development to sales is almost exactly the same. So those two companies, while on the surface and a human being would say, oh, I sold a sales loft. Who's the company I want to sell to? Um, how about Outreach or how about ToutApp? They're not going to think, how about LucidChart? But a platform like EverString helps to uh, helps people understand those connections and then gives you that data so that you can go out and say, hey, LucidChart, I know that you may seem on the surface very different from a company like SalesLoft, but we're helping them in a way that is really similar to the way you guys run your business. We're helping them to determine of the people who sign up for the trials, who are the people that are most likely to upgrade, right? And we're able to, to, to rank that for them. Is that something that would be valuable to your business, right? Because I know that you run a very similar go-to-market strategy around trial into a paid subscription. And we're able to open up doors in a way of being highly, highly relevant in, in that specific way. Whereas someone would traditionally take like a use case or a case study from a customer like a, like a sales loft loaded into marketing automation and blast it out to the world. And I know as a marketer, I get hit with these messages all the time where it's like, hey, Matt, we're helping um, Salesforce.com, Oracle, and IBM um, increase their whatever. And, I, and every time I read that, I say, that is so great. I'm so happy for you. Your company has entered into selling to enterprise software businesses. But 
they look nothing like me. Therefore, I'm not really interested in that. Like the only similarity that I have with those companies is the fact that we're all software businesses. The relevancy is by distilling it down and saying, hey, I know that you may not resemble these on the surface, but look at how you are similar and we're solving a problem that I think is very relevant to your business. So that's how we're able to use our own platform to be much more relevant in our outreach. I like that a lot. Uh, uh, so uh, where, where do I, again, you, you're giving me so much to work with here. I don't know where I want to take it. So uh, I guess this, right? So in you're your guys' process, yeah, thank you. In, in, in your guys' process, um, how do you, I guess, where's the, the handoff go? So yeah. you've got the SDRs and sales development reps, uh, you know, reaching out, opening up the accounts. When do you know when to truly transition over to uh, the AE in that role? Yeah, it's a good question and highly debated, uh, obviously, both internally and sort of in the marketplace. So traditionally, when we hand them off is when we have an understanding that they've got a need that's related to our product and they have an active interest, which means that they actually want to to take a deeper look into what we do. And we're really starting to experiment nowadays with showing much more of our product as part of our outreach so people get a better understanding uh, about what the product actually looks like and the benefits of it. Now, this is very different from you know my days at Marketo where we would go full BANT qualification. And some people have said BANT is dead. I've even said it and I, and I should retract that and I'm glad I've got another opportunity to retract it. If you are running an inbound sales process, you should try to get BANT. I mean, that's the best way for you to be able to to um, you know cut through uh, the noise of, of what's coming inbound and make sure that your reps are are getting quality, maybe full band's not right for every business, but you know I look at places like Salesforce.com or Marketo and there's such strong inbound engines. I think companies like that still have to do that, but when you're going outbound, you've got to be really cautious because in most cases you are introducing someone to a technology for the first time. And, you know, I'd be like, hey, Jim, you know, I'm going to help you find all the great target accounts uh, in your territory. Um, or if I'm talking to a marketer, I'm going to help you surface all the best accounts uh, for your ABM strategy. It's really hard to get somebody juiced about what you're doing and then turn around and say, like, great, do you have budget for this? And they're like, uh, wait, you just told me about this. I don't have budget. Right. So uh, you've got to be cautious around when to hand it off. And then you've got to have a sales team that's on the other an end of that that understands okay, I'm going to get a conversation with a prospect at a good account that from like a technology perspective is a good fit for our product uh, and has an, uh, you know, maybe more than a passive interest in what we do, certainly has needs uh, around what our product solves. And that's a very different selling motion than, uh, yeah, this guy just came inbound and he's either going to buy um, you know, Pardot or uh, Eloqua or our product. Now, just like go beat those guys in a competitive sales cycle. Yeah, I so, want I want those all day long. Those are easy. They, well, they they all require a a, a different skill set. Um, yeah, sure. And and while that may be best for you, some other people might argue that they'd much rather sell into greenfield. Um, I think in a lot of cases, when you're selling competitively. Um, price can become or flexibility around a contract can become the ultimate determining factor. But when you're selling greenfield, um, 
And in, in cases like this, where you're able to identify something where people haven't looked into other vendors, it one allows you to be column A and sort of dictate the conversation. And two, it, it, in a lot of cases, it allows you to not do heavy discounting or you know, very highly nuanced uh, uh, contracts like three plus nines or three plus twelves or you know one plus fifteens and all these crazy things that the sales reps will throw out at you these days. So I, I, I think there's. As long as there's an understanding around what the sales process needs to look like, um, it, you're going to be fine. Um, but if you try to uh, if you try to apply, you know, the sort of uh, Marketo or Salesforce way of selling into an outbound way of selling, uh, there's there's going to be confusion and there's going to be a lot of pushback from the reps because they're going to say, "Okay, this person doesn't have any budget." And like, yeah, I get that, uh, but we just built uh, their, their sort of passion around this, and we just introduced them to it for the first time. So as long as everyone's aligned, you typically won't have problems, but um, you just got to make sure that from marketing to SDR to sales, everybody has a, a common understanding of what of definitionally what each one of those things means, and then have uh, a playbook around how to sell. You've used the phrase or something like it, align quite a bit today. I feel like we could have a whole other conversation just <laughs> on on alignment there. But you, you know, Matt, you you kind of just talked about something there that um, you know this this sales development role is hard, right? So m- more often than not, it's it's the it's the the salespeople that are younger in their career that are getting put into these roles. They've got the pressure of rejection all day long. They've got the pressure of uh, hitting numbers from their manager. They've got pressure from the sale, the AE, the salesperson, because it wasn't good enough or the quality of it. You know, all, how do you how do you get out, uh, off that lonely island? What's holding people back from success here? True success. I, I comment a lot on LinkedIn when people ask these questions, and I, I feel like most people get turned off by this because it's too simple, and it's not like it's not like oh, you just buy this technology and it solves it. So, what stops people, especially SDRs, from being successful is fear, um, fear of being told no, fear of handing off a lead that's not ready to go, fear of talking to a stranger, um, you know, somebody that they've, they've never t- interacted with, fear of sending the wrong tweet, fear of sharing the wrong piece of content. You just got to get rid of the fear, right? And I give the same speech to every SDR when they start the business is um, I'm going to give you the freedom and flexibility to go out and make as many mistakes uh, as you can for, you know, over the course of the first month here, just make them going fast and make them with the right intentions. And that, that tends to work really well, right? I said, get on the phone and I don't care if you make mistakes, but the practice that you're going to get by being live on the phone, you're going to learn a ton. What you're not going to, you're never going to improve and you're not going to learn a thing by sitting on your hands and sort of waiting for somebody to get back to you. And so I train the SDRs here to be fearless. The great thing about uh, about sales development reps these days, and I, there's a lot of pushback on on millennials, which um, I used to push back on on millennials quite a bit. But I, I feel like if you can empower them to go out and do the right types of things and you don't put them into a role that's just pushing buttons and turning knobs and waiting for someone to get back to them. They feel great about their role. They feel great about their contributions. And, you know, we run a process here that helps them operationalize going out and doing all that. We had, we had an SDR, um, you know, this is real time stuff. We had an SDR who started on the first. So I guess it's two days ago, started live on the first, 
Uh, and this morning he got his first message back from a prospect that literally said 10 out of 10, that's the best email I've ever received, uh, for, from an SDR. And, um, you know, it's because he wasn't afraid to go out and try something new. He pulled something off the prospect's Twitter account. I don't, I don't have all the specifics, but there was a lot of cheering when I walked in this morning. Uh, and it's, it's, it's going out and doing, again, this is the, the, the kind of elbow grease part of it, right? Where you got to go out and you, you search and you research and you find things that, you know, people have done and, and you sort of incorporate that into your messaging. Um, and, and people get excited about that. They, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, these SDRs, they feel a lot like marketers or they feel like salespeople while, while they're in the SDR role. Uh, and that's the type of thing that you got to do, right? You just, you just got to eliminate fear. You got to tell them, Hey, I know you're going to make mistakes. I accept that you're going to make mistakes. Just make them going fast and don't make them the same mistakes twice. Uh, and people really respond to that. There's other things that we do here that are just more cultural that I think help. Um, I'm a big fan of music and I think music helps people's rhythm in general. I don't want to get into the esoteric aspect of that, but um, you know, we've got like an SDR pit here. Um, it doesn't look anything like a pit, it looks more like a palace, but they've got, you know, they got a stereo, so they're listening to music, they're feeling the flow of the energy, they're exchanging ideas between that group. Um, and that really helps them feel empowered and it helps them uh, it helps take away the stigma of the, gosh, it's Sunday night and I really don't want to go to work tomorrow. It's going to stink. Uh, we just try to create a great environment. So I think that that all helps in the process of eliminating fear and sort of eliminating the, uh, here comes the authoritarian guy that's going to, you know, scream at me because I sent the wrong email. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned you want your team to go out and make as many mistakes as they can with the right intentions early. Um, and you've, you've pointed out some of these to me on LinkedIn. It seems like some of those mistakes are now being, you know, put out there with SDR shaming. What's, I mean, what's that about? First of all, I don't know what it's about. Uh, it's, it's very frustrating. Um, I think a lot of people are a little bit misguided. I think one of the things that LinkedIn does is it really helps thought leaders be thought leaders and broadcast the message out to a lot of people. But I think people think that, hey, I'm going to show this terrible email and that's going to make me a thought leader. Now, there are cases where they'll blur out where the company's from or what company it's from and who the SDR is. And they'll say like, hey, I would have done this and this, which is constructive. But, you know, if you're just putting up a post that says, Hey, here's a terrible email that I received from an SDR, um, and here's his name. And you know, hey, company, you should be really ashamed of yourself. I, that's uh, that's not constructive at all. It's not helping anybody. It's uh, and and it's certainly not as a poster making you look good by any stretch of the imagination. I think um, you know, to me, uh, if you know what a great email is, share that. There's plenty of bad emails out there, right? Like there's plenty of terrible emails. And I got to tell you, more often than not, it's marketers that put those emails up. And I get some terrible emails from marketing departments, right? <laughs> it's really bad. I mean, if I wanted to spend all my time on LinkedIn, I could just post bad email after bad email on there. But it, it's not constructive. I think if you really want to be a thought leader on the space, then educate people on how to send a great email. Educate people on this is what the structure of a great email looks like. This is how to transition from personalization to relevancy. That's the type of stuff that's that's valuable. And, and if you want people to think of you as a thought leader, 
they will if you put out that kind of content. It's really easy to, you know, trash someone's process, trash someone's email. That's easy. The hard stuff is is being bold and brave and putting your stuff out there and saying, hey, this is this is quality and this is how you do it. Well, I'm hoping to see some of the examples from uh, from your team out here uh, going against the grain there. Yeah, I definitely, you know, it's uh, it's something that I've been planning on putting out as my next big kind of thought piece is how to how to operationalize the process of building a great email. Um, I talk about it a lot uh, when I'm out presenting. I show examples of how we do it. I show examples of the responses that we get back, even when the person says, "Hey, I'm not interested in your product, but uh, I, I love I, I love your outreach," because you know, at the end of the day, SDRs are kind of like the stewards of, of, of your brand. And they're generally speaking, the first human interaction that a prospect or an account may have with your company. And so if they're creating a great experience, even in failure, then they're still winning. Yeah. Matt, you've shared a ton of the, the good stuff with us, right? But I can't imagine that uh, you, you have gotten through your career without any stumbling points. Well, oh, yeah. Talk to me about the other side of this. Is there a, a point of failure that just kind of sticks out in your head that for you? Yeah, totally. Um, so when I left Marketo, I went to Tibco. I was kind of riding a high on Marketo. Marketo had just IPO'd um, uh, about maybe six months earlier. Um, I was feeling great, getting a lot of recognition in the space as to you know the fact that we had a great SDR team. And I just kind of felt like maybe a little arrogant. I knew I knew all the ins and outs of how to run sales development. When I left Marketo and went to Tibco. I was just, you know, super fired up, showed up on the first couple of days. I'm like, okay, who are the SDRs? What does their inbound lead flow look like? And someone just said, inbound lead flow, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, when prospects are engaging with our marketing and our content, um, you know, it's flowing directly to the SDRs, right? And they're like, what marketing, what content are you talking about? And I said, uh-oh. And so what I had, what I realized in that moment was that I really knew how to run there's, you know, there's probably 25 different processes that can be successful for sales development, but I realized that I could only run one. And that was when you had a heavy inbound engine, just feeding leads and mass to your SDR team. And so, you know, for the first couple of months at Tibco, I really struggled. I mean, struggled is, is probably the wrong terms out and out failure is the right term. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I got a commission check for $87 one month. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I, I mean, I went to payroll and I just said, hey, you know, please just roll this into my next paycheck. I promise that the next time you issue one, it'll, it'll be bigger. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, that I realized in that moment is that you can build a great process for an organization. But as you transition to the next company, you have to be open to the fact that it may not work there. And the reality is, is it probably won't work. Each company has its kind of own, uh, you know, its own uh, process, whether that's sales, marketing, sales development or whatnot. And you've got to hone in on that and recognize what's going to work there and realize what worked before probably won't work there. That's some really powerful stuff, man. And I think it, it, you can even take that down to the individual level as well, right? So we've all had some successes, right? And we think that it's us. And then you remove us from the environment where we were successful and we go to another environment and we realize, hmm, there was something about that other place that that synergy and that connection, the alignment that you've talked about, it just clicked. And so while I may be good, it's the environment that helps me be who I'm supposed to be. Awesome stuff. Matt, we're going to take a quick break uh, to thank our sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales sooners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back.
Sales Tuners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. You're back and it's time for the money round. Matt, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Um, my, um, my drive to seek out mentorship, whether within an organization or outside of an organization. I feel like I'm a lifetime learner. I never want to believe that my process is perfect. So I'm constantly seeking out uh, new mentors, whether they're the people that I work with or people that I know that are doing it right, I'll reach out and say, you're doing it right. We need to have a conversation. I got to learn from you. Yeah. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? <sighs> uh, so I know a lot of people like to say, um, I would do a lot of research and I'd speak to a lot of people. I tend to like to, to try to get value immediately. So, you know, for me, I'll give you an example. My first 30 days here at Everstring, um, I came to work every day at 530 in the morning and usually left at about 1030 in the evening. And I, I spent all the time that I could talking to prospects. I called and emailed every single person I could trying to get a response, trying to figure out what messaging works, what part, what, what gets people excited, what turns them off and just testing everything that I possibly can. So I know people like to say, Oh, I'd stop and just really evaluate everything. I actually think that the first 30 days are all about action. Comes back to that elbow grease you talked about. And, and that's, that's right. That's putting some work in. That's awesome. Uh, which phrase describes you best, Matt, and why I love to win or I hate to lose? Oh, man. So um, it is, uh, it is, I hate to lose. And I, uh, I always respond that way. And I'll tell you why. It's because I always expect to win, which sounds super arrogant. And I apologize because that's that I think people who say that tend to to come off as arrogant or cocky and I'm really not. But in all things, I do expect to win. And I feel like that's one of the things that really drives me. So losing is something that I hate and winning is something that I expect. So I definitely hate to lose more than I love to win. I'm sitting here shaking my head. Yes, you and I have the exact same response to that. So I love it. Um, What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Oh, man. Uh, The Challenger Sale is so good, especially if you are at a company that's trying to be disruptive or if you are in, um, you know, a newer nascent space, that's a great book. If you are selling commoditized products like CRM or database or something like that, uh, then spin selling is a better book. I think it's just one's an approach that works well when you're, when you're selling really, um, when you're selling uh, really competitively and the other works really well when you're trying to make people think differently. 
Sales tuners, if you would like to check out either of Matt's suggestions of the challenger sale or spin selling, head over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Matt, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Yeah, it's it's grind on. Um, I think the the thing that that a lot of people don't realize or don't think about is optics matter. Um, one of the things that's helped me be successful is I'm a guy who always comes early and stays late. Now, I don't work 20 hours a day or anything like that. But if someone expects me to be in the office at 8 o'clock in the morning, I like to get in at 7.30. And if someone's saying, hey, you know, you could breeze out of here by 5, I like to stay till 5.30 or 6. It's just something that's always worked well for me. If the CEO walks in and sees you there, and if he walks out and you're still there, that really means a lot. Yeah, it definitely does. I'm going to get you out of here on this one, Matt. How could someone find you or connect with you after the show today if they wanted to? Uh, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at MattyA56. You can link to me uh, on LinkedIn or um, you, know, you can just follow me there um i've got a i've got a cell phone number i'm not going to give it out i've got an email i'm not going to i'm not going <laughs> to give that out either uh but i'm sure you could hit up uh places like zoom info or dnb and get it there i'll just put those in the show notes so everybody can have them there right so <laughs> <laughs> thank you. matt this has been awesome thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it you bet jim it's been a real pleasure wow I know we went a little long with this one, but Matt clearly knows his stuff, and it's always awesome to get to go that deep with someone still in the trenches. Let's get right to my top takeaways. Number one, sell to people, not companies. Starting at the top of the funnel and working your way down in a sell strategy that brings the big picture into focus. Most salespeople wake up in the morning thinking about the companies they want to sell to instead of the actual people that fill the roles able to buy at that company. Figure out what their personal motivators, incentives, and interests are and talk to them like human beings. Number two, get over your fears. President Franklin D. Roosevelt's famous words about fear are just as true in sales as in anything else. The only thing to fear is fear itself. Truer words were never spoken, particularly in the sales world, where fear is one of the most debilitating hurdles you will face. Stop being afraid of sending the wrong content, calling the wrong person, hearing no, or just talking to strangers. One of the things uh, most interesting to me that Matt shared off the air was that people were afraid to ask for mentorship. He said that most people want to and are willing to help, but that they rarely get asked. Number three, do more. When in doubt, do more. Come in early, stay late. While most CEOs will stop and take note, don't do it to show off. Do it because you believe in what you're doing. Show up to work every day because you're passionate about solving the problems for your customers and striving to be better. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week and in Atlanta. But until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there.